Escaping Alcatraz, A History of the Island Prison Breakouts, author and former resident Jolene Babiak joins us to tell the tales. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. We have a fun show for you today. And as you heard in the opener, we're going to be talking about Alcatraz, the history of the island and the history of the escapes. And, and who better to tell us about that but an author on the subject. She's written a few books about Alcatraz, and she also used to live on the island. Jolene Babiak, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Absolutely. You know, it's one of my favorite. Uh, San Francisco is one of my favorite cities to visit. And I just really look forward to our travels when we get together. And I visited uh, Alcatraz a couple of times. I've taken, you know, the the audio tour and I've walked around the island. I was there when they were doing some big art show there. And I got to see some of the, um, you know, some of the buildings you don't always get to see. I got to see the medical wing and all that. But, uh, you know, it's uh, such a fascinating island. It's got a lot of mystique to it. But you you grew up there. And obviously, I'm assuming that your uh, one of your parents were worked uh, for, for the prison, and you lived on the island. And I know from the tours that where you live was very close to the cell blocks on an island that's not very big. What was that like? Well, you know, in atmosphere, it was a lot like living on a military base insofar as there were places where you couldn't go, and just about everybody outranked you. <laughs> so, right, right. Uh, you know... <laughs> I, I arrived as a seven-year-old, so everybody did outrank me, including <laughs> most of the kids. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that, if there's some areas off limits, but obviously you have some very dangerous criminals living there that are, are serving, some of them, life sentences. And so what were your parents concerned about that, or were they just kind of, because they knew their work, they weren't so worried, they figured they'd be the first to know if somebody busted out? Oh, well, if somebody busted out, there was a siren and everybody knew it at once. I suppose they did worry about that. You know, they didn't translate that to me. I, I, I didn't get the feeling that they were worried, but I'm sure that they must have had some sleepless nights, you know, uh, but they didn't tell, they didn't tell that to me. So was it like a fire drill? Did y'all have like a, a, just sort of a family fire drill? If you hear these alarms, you come to the house. How did that work? Um, there were signs all over the island in the, in the residential area telling you what to do if you heard uh, a certain sound. You were to go in your house immediately, lock the doors and stay there. And, you know, most of the escape, uh, escape attempts took place when kids were at school in San Francisco because they were usually daylight escape attempts. There were some oh, that were at night. So and I never heard the siren when I was outside. So, you know, but there were signs all over. Well, let's talk about the history of the island. Now, as I understand it from some of my reading, it was purchased for $5,000 from a citizen of Mexico who was given the island in exchange for building a lighthouse. Now, after that purchase, it got repurposed into a Civil War fort. So can you walk us through that part of the history? Get us up to that time when it becomes a federal prison. You know, I'm not really sure about the $5,000. Number one, oh. that seems pretty expensive. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. And uh, it is an island off of San Francisco. It's about a mile and a quarter away. So it quickly became a way to protect the city from foreign invasion because during that era, you know, California had kind of been purchased, maybe stolen from, from Mexico. So they were definitely worried about foreign invaders coming in through the what's now the Golden Gate Bridge area and, and attacking the city. They were worried about the Russians who had, we still have a Russian fort in Northern California. They were certainly worried uh, eventually about the English because the English purchased 
cotton from the South. And there was feeling that maybe England would come in against the North during the Civil War. And, you know, they were worried about the Chinese because they had been brought over to, to build the railroad. So there, were, there was just a general anxiety about San Francisco being overtaken um, via the sea. And so there were a number of forts. There were three forts particularly as you approach San Francisco from, from the Pacific Ocean, which, which protected the city from, from invasion. Alcatraz was part of that. Well, obviously, over time, there were a lot of famous uh, inmates there. And, of course, I think most people know that Al Capone was there. I'm sure they've heard of Machine Gun Kelly and Doc Barker. But uh, I think while you were there, Robert Stroud, the Birdman, was there. Did you ever see any of these famous inmates? I did not see anybody famous. And if I had seen a famous inmate, I wouldn't have known. I only saw men who were working as gardeners or, you know, there were men who came down, maybe one prisoner and a guard who might come into an apartment to fix a plumbing issue or an electrical issue. But we were usually shooed away. Uh, You would have to go into another room. I mean, it never happened in my apartment, So, but I know from other people. So we and we would see men coming uh, down the hill in trucks on, on the on the flatbeds of trucks being taken down to the dock, where some of them worked there. So we were seeing men in trucks uh, outside the fence, and they they would wave at us. But I had no idea who they were. Nor you know when I first lived there when I was seven, I didn't really care. And when I was fifteen, um, the only important person or the only famous prisoner was was Mickey Cohen. I certainly never saw him. Well, and as I learned doing my research, hopefully my research is good because I, I didn't realize the island would have been expensive at $5,000. But uh, anyway, <laughs> there's a long history of escapes. And so you know, I knew about the one in the 40s, the so-called Battle of Alcatraz, you know, because you, you oh, get that yeah. on the tour. And you know, even to this day, you can see some of the pockmarks from the grenade that yes. went off uh, from the ceiling and the scars on the wall and everything. But I didn't realize how many there were. So can you walk us through a brief timeline just to kind of give some scale to that? There were a lot of people trying to leave the rock. Yeah, they mostly occurred during the initial 10 or 15 years. Uh, You know, Alcatraz only uh, operated 29 years from 1934 to 1963. And uh, 10 of the escapes were were in the first uh, 11 or 12 years. Uh, And and there were only four escapes after that. So really, it was the initial uh, initial guys who were trying to go in, in any way that they could. You had the 1939 escape. Doc Barker, of course, and, 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 and four or five other guys tried to get out on Friday the 13th. Wow, not a good day. <laughs> yeah, in January uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning. And, and it was kind of a laughable idea, really, very ludicrous. They attempted to, uh, they went down to the, the, the shoreline in January at 3 o'clock in the morning, and they stripped down and took off all of their clothes. And uh, several of them hunted for driftwood, and, and they tried to put a boat together. If you can just wow. imagine going across San Francisco Bay, which can be quite active, you know, quite choppy. And, and here you are, you know, f- f- five guys naked trying to get across the bay in a driftwood boat and hope to come out in San Francisco before dawn. I mean, <laughs> desperate. it was at three o'clock in the morning and this woke everybody up. Uh, that was certainly the most, uh, and Doc Barker ended up being killed in that escape attempt because he refused to get out of the water. And then 46, of course, which was the single worst uh, escape attempt in, in the island's history. And, you know, there were others, guys would sometimes jump in the water and turn around and come back. 
because it was just too cold. And then, of course, there were the two in 62. So there were a number of tries, and they tended to get a little bit more organized over the years. But uh, most of the time, you know, they weren't successful. As far as the numbers, I can't tell you the numbers because some men were accused of going when they didn't actually, they weren't really involved in the escape attempt, and others weren't named in the escape attempt. So it's about 40 men in 14 different events, and most of them were recovered. A few were killed, and I think there was one drowning. Yeah, you know, I, I was amazed. Uh, you know, I know the the last two. So the June eleventh, nineteen sixty two, is the most famous one. That's the one with Frank Morris, John Anglin, uh, Clarence Anglin, and of course Alan West, who never really made it out of the prison. That was the most famous one. That kind of has a mystique to it. But there was one more attempt, which is just incredible to me. Shortly after, and that one was on December sixteenth, nineteen sixty two, and this is shortly before the prison was uh, closed down as a federal prison. John Paul Scott swam uh, San Francisco Bay and. Pro- Probably would have gotten away for a little bit, except he got really bad hypothermia and passed out over, I think it was Fort Point. Is that is that correct? That's correct. Part of the three uh, forts uh, or, uh, to protect the bay. That's, that's the coastal defense that they had. Right. Well, let's talk about the most famous one. So this is the one on June 11th, 1962. And so I know people have seen the movie and they've probably heard the tale. So I just want to kind of briefly go over it, if you don't mind, Jolene, just real quick summary of that. Because what I want to do is develop the conversation into what, what happened afterwards as more information came out years after this escape attempt. And so can you just kind of give us the quick blow by blow of what these four men did and eventually three men who left the island? We don't know what happened to them necessarily, but uh, tell us quickly the tale. Well, they devised a plan. It took many months to come up with the actual plan, but they devised a plan to get into a utility corridor. So if you put your two arms in front of you, uh, um, in the middle would be this three-foot-wide utility corridor where where the pipes, the heating ducts, and and the waste pipes, and the water pipes all live. And they they got into that utility corridor, and they used the pipes as a ladder, and they got on top of the block. And blocks are usually not connected to the ceiling. There's a space up there. And there was an old vent, and they worked on the vent, on the ceiling vent. It was was an air blower vent. And they got out on the roof on June 11th and ran across the roof and climbed down, you know, rappelled down the building, climbed over a fence, uh, ran down, we think, behind the officer's club, which was where the families used to gather periodically. And if they'd hit that checkpoint at the right time, they could have actually heard the sound of a bowling ball as it hit the lane and rolled down and hit the pins because there was a two-lane bowling alley in there, and there might have been people in there bowling. And then they got behind that building and uh, put in the water and were never seen again. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, now, were you on the island at this time or had your family moved away? Nope. I was on the island. My dad was the associate warden at that time. Oh, my goodness. And he was acting warden because Warden Blackwell was on a vacation. Probably had nothing to do with the timing of the escape because when you make a hole in the roof, you know, you got to go tonight. Right. You can't wait around. And so I doubt that it had any, had anything, any effect on the actual escape. But my father was the acting warden. We were living on the island. Uh, the siren woke me up. Oh, wow. What was that like? I mean, was there just panic? Were people running around? Uh, did everybody kind of know what to do? What was it like? It's, it's the opposite of panic. People might be feeling panic, but, you know, the men are immediately going up top. All Everybody, no matter what, are going up top and getting their assignments and starting to uh, search the island. 
women and children are confined to quarters. The siren woke me up. I had a, it figured into a dream in which I thought I was being overrun by, by a big ship because the, the sound of the, 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 the siren was incredibly loud. And when I woke up, of course, the sound was still going on. And um, I put on my robe and my mother met me on the stairs and she said, get dressed. There's been an escape. We have to search the house. And I did just that. <laughs> Probably make work, you know, for the keep, keep everybody busy. <laughs> there wasn't anybody in our house, but we did have to search. Well, it's probably at that point a good thing to do. So, but yeah. uh, well, the government kind of, when that happened, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the government was kind of painting everybody towards a theory that they prob- uh, that the escapees probably drowned in the bay. And, I, and I've been out there, you know, I've stood pretty close to where you all would have lived. There's like, and correct me if I'm wrong again, but uh, the Gave Trail today is kind of over by there. And there's like this little point that you can sort of, you know, look, overlook or look out at uh, downtown San Francisco. And I was there at a time of the day when the current was really really strong, so strong, it was creating an eddy in the bay. And I watched the sail, a really big sailboat go by, and it almost looked like it was on a treadmill trying to sail up wind, but the <laughs> current was so strong, it was nearly kept in place by that. And so, you know, very treacherous waters there. And so, you know, that theory, I think, would have been easy to believe. But as, I, as I've as i come to understand and through some of my research, and of course, I've watched a few documentaries over the years, you know, as information has surfaced, some of that narrative has changed a little bit. And so now people aren't quite as sure that uh, maybe they made it. uh, They're not quite as sure that they would have drowned. Well, you know, I think the narrative has changed because there's people invested in the fact that they might have made it. (laughs) I mean, it's it's a cool story. It really is. It's it's definitely a cool story. And I mean, we're still talking about it over 50 years later, and it's still one of the big mysteries of that decade, you know, that century. There, there are several practical reasons. Um, if, you, if you, statistically, I always start out statistically. In the United States today, we have about two million people serving time. When Alcatraz existed, we had about one hundred thousand. Wow! And of those hundred thousand, twenty-five thousand are federal prisoners, and of those twenty-five thousand, only about two hundred and fifty in any given year are on Alcatraz. So you're talking one percent. You know, and 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 men didn't come there because their crimes were particularly heinous so much. They were federal crimes, but they came there because of their behavior. And what it means is that they were noticeable. The director of the Bureau of Prisons in Washington, D.C., he's the one who assigned men to Alcatraz. So these prisoners had emerged out of, you know, out of the 100 percent, you know, out of the 99 percent, the 1 percent had emerged as the worst guys in variety of different ways. They were the worst because they had tried to escape before. They were like Frank Morris. He was capable of long-term planning. He was a very bright guy. That coupled with a couple of escapes when he was in juvie earned him eventually a trip to Alcatraz. They were the, the, tr- the, the worst of the troublemakers in many ways. So those personalities keep you getting into trouble. Even if you escape from a prison like Alcatraz, you're, you have an immediate need for clothing, for food, for a car, for money. And uh, usually they're so noticeable that it's almost impossible for them to stay alive without detection. So, but, you know, as some of these investigations have come up, you know, they, they've uh, reported, I guess one of the things that was shocking to me and was that uh, the government believed that they... Uh, 
you know, believe if they drowned or wanted people to believe they drowned, but they also found the raft on Angel Island, which I guess, as uh, Alan West said, was the plan to go to Angel Island from Angel Island, go from there to the mainland. Uh, apparently, they found the raft and some footprints away from it, which suggests pretty strongly that they at least made Angel Island. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about that theory? Uh, I don't think any raft was actually found. I think there's been rumors over the years. Uh, there was a, was a, there was a, a plank of 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 uh, wood uh, tied together over in Sausalito that was found, and a flurry of excitement about that. It turned out that the guy who called it into the newspapers, it, that's who he called first, not the FBI. Ah. <laughs> but when the FBI got there, it turned out that he'd wrapped the planks himself. And, you know, so uh, there was no raft found on Angel Island. I don't know where that rumor has popped up. And footprints in the sand, uh, that's, that's not evidence. The other thing is that when you think about Angel Island, First of all, it was an outgoing tide, so they were going to go towards Hawaii. They were not going north towards Angel Island. Now, a debris could have backed up against Angel Island, but there was no raft found over there. And then the other thing is that why would you go to this island? It wouldn't afford you any advantage. Uh, you'd be on the island. You'd have to go over the top of the island, which is a big mountain or a big hill, and go down the other side and get in the water again. So, I mean, that wouldn't make sense to go to Angel Island because, you know, it's an island, you'd be caught. It was an army base, not really a base, but it was an army army property. And then you had to get in the water again to get over to Marin. So I, I've never considered the Angel Island thing to be much of a theory. And there was no raft found. There were only four things found in the bay. Uh, there was a life jacket found on the ocean side. There was a life jacket found in the bay. There was a paddle found between Angel Island and Alcatraz. And then there was a packet of photographs from the Anglin brothers. That was all. There was no raft ever found. There were certainly rumors, but there was no raft. Well, I definitely want to ask you in a minute whether or not you think they made it, but I want to get into this uh, this question about the mystique, sort of the legend of this escape. And so, you know, over the years, there's been these reports that eyewitnesses have seen one or more of the escapees together uh, around the country. Uh, there were some rumors that they were down in Brazil operating a farm. And so, <laughs> yeah, yes, and, I've you know, seen that video. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it's fun. It definitely adds to the, uh, adds to the folklore, but, uh, you know, there was, uh, you know, rumors that, uh, flowers have been sent on mother's day, you know, yeah, up until yeah. the, uh, the year of their, uh, the Anglin brothers, mom's death and the dimension appearances. But tell us about some of those stories that you've heard over the years that might well, indicate the escapees survived. <laughs> the Brazil is an interesting one because, uh, it's a Portuguese speaking country. Uh, so I find it really hard to believe that it, the Brazil story, you know, is, is always in connection with the Anglin brothers. The Anglin brothers, you know, they weren't stupid, but they were fifth grade and, and, and third grade educated. I mean, you know, they were kind of, you know, I hate to, you know, you hate, you hate. <laughs> they weren't typically the swiftest guys there. They had robbed one bank and they'd driven into town in that 1958 bank robbery in a late model two-tone out-of-state Cadillac. Everybody in town saw the car, and they were caught four days later up in Ohio. So we're not talking real swift, incredibly bright guys who are going to learn Portuguese, uh, which is you know where, where where what you'd have to learn when you went to Brazil, and you'd stick out like a sore thumb. You know, I could always go for Mexico because you know Spanish is perhaps a little bit more accessible, 
But even then, you'd have to learn the language very quickly and, you know, get a job. It's not going to be easy. All right. So I'll get to the uh, golden question then. Do you think they made it? Well, I think I've already tipped my hand. I don't (laughs) think they made it. The Anglin brothers would have gone home to mom because, you know, they love their family. I I will say that about them. They were very close-knit family, but they were kind of losers in the family. They were, they were car thieves, and, and they had this one bank robbery. They, they liked to escape from state prisons. And, you know, they didn't have anything going for them. And Morris had no family whatsoever. He was an orphan kid. He had never, almost since he was 13, ever lived outside. I think his longest stretch outside was eight months. Wow. So he had no connection outside other than with other criminals. And again, no food, no car, no money. You know, you're talking almost insurmountable. You, you know, there was a guy in California in, in the, I think it was the 90s. He died and they discovered, oh, he was an escapee. You know what his trick was? He never drove a car. Wow. He, he didn't have a license. So whoever he was with, his wife, his girlfriend, or whatever, she drove. So he never got caught. So that's, you know, for, for the future criminals out there, don't drive a car. <laughs> you know, but Morris and the Anglins, I doubt that they could have stayed out there for very any length of time. But I tend to be a buzzkill on that res- <laughs> in that respect. No, I asked. I asked, for, I asked for your opinion on that. So just one last <laughs> question for you, Joe Lee, before we close it out. We're almost out of time, you know, and I, I realized that, you know, if they did survive it, I realize you don't believe that they did. But if they did, they would be pretty old right now. As I understood, I think Frank would be 94. I think uh, Clarence and John would be 90 and, and 89 at this point. So they're getting, if they've survived, they would be pretty old at this point. But in theory, if they're out someplace playing cards together and the law <laughs> catches up with them, you know, in addition to serving their prison sentences, what crimes would they be guilty of today? Oh, my God. <laughs> you mean uh, resulting from the escape? Of course, federal escape. There's no tr- there's no uh, statute of limitations on escape and murder. So certainly the escape would still be in effect. I don't know, but whatever, you know, else they had done. Car theft, probably. <laughs> Clothing heists, I don't know. Yeah, probably false identification and fraud at some point. Yes, there you go. You're (laughs) much better at it than I am. Well, Jolene, it was really fun talking with you. Thank you for joining us. This was quite a treat. Thank you. And if our listeners, they want to reach out, find some of your books about Alcatraz, how can they find you? Uh, I have a webpage, JoleneBabiakAuthor.com, and then that'll have a link to where the books can be purchased. B-A-B-Y-A-K. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcasting app. It's really good for the show. And also we'll set our sources for this episode on our website at legaltalknetwork.com. Got a couple of quick hat tips here. I want to uh, thank Wikipedia out there. There's a really great article. There's a lot on Alcatraz out there on Wikipedia, but one that caught my eye that was really good was the one titled June 1962 Alcatraz Escape Attempt. Thought it was really good. Gave a nice summary of the island, nice history. And so a fun read too. And also, I want to give a shout out to a non-Legal Talk Network show out there called Infamous America. Episodes 49 through 53 have to do with the history and uh, the famous escape from Alcatraz. It's hosted by Chris Wimmer, and it's uh, produced by Black Barrel Media Company. Really great show. Check them out. And also, lastly but not least, we want to thank our team, producer Molly McDonough and our LTN crew for making us sound so wonderful over the years here. You guys do great work. Uh, much, much, much appreciated. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. 